0: Praise God. Praise God. I hope I didn't turn you all deaf with my prayer. Praise God. How many of you are happy to be here? I can tell by looking at your faces. Some people, I don't know, I'm a little confused. How many of you guys are happy to be here? Let me see some teeth. Amen. I'm really happy to be here. Praise God for um, allowing me to stand here. Before I get into the word, I would just like to... uh, give uh, gratitude and thanks to this church. As many of you know, I'll be going to Houston uh, uh, Monday after Monday. uh, On Tuesday, early morning, I'll be going to Houston. I want to take this time to really thank this church for everything that they have done for me, especially I want to appreciate pastor, all the years of mentorship and guidance that he has given me. I want to thank all my Sunday school teachers From my youngest age up to now, they have been a great blessing to me. I really appreciate all of them. And many of them come and tell me, I was your Sunday school teacher. They let me know, amen, I really appreciate them. If many of you are thinking whether I should be a Sunday school teacher or not, I think you should. Go be a Sunday school teacher and pour into some kids' lives. Shape them, mold them, be a blessing to them. I want to also thank all the uncles and aunties and all my brothers and sisters uh, in, in, seated here and who are not able to be here. And I want to appreciate all of you, because you have been a blessing to me in one way or another. This church is a blessed church. Amen. amen. You should say it a little bit louder for that. I just said that you're a blessed people, and you don't, nobody want to say, "Amen, only a couple of people. Amen. amen. You're blessed. You have been a blessing to me and my family. You have helped me to grow. You have helped me to look to the word of God. Especially I want to appreciate all the aunties and uncles. They have been a constant source of encouragement. No matter how bad my message is or how good my message is, there's always somebody there to say, good job, Shevin. That is a great thing that I I, I receive from this church. I really appreciate all, all the uncles and aunties who have been there for me. Um, to, to pray for me and to encourage me I want to thank all of you for that and the last thing that I want to say if, if I've hurt anybody maybe with my words or my actions or maybe with the things that I have not said that I should have said maybe by uh, the fact that I did not do certain things that you expected me to do being there for you at certain times that I was not there not being there for you at certain times I should have been there I want to ask your forgiveness and uh, uh, I express my sincerest apologies if I've hurt anybody in this church. Amen. Don't stop smiling, okay? This morning, I want to talk to you about, uh, they're going to put it up. Uh, I want to talk to you from the title, Stronger Together. How many of you are sitting with your wives this morning? Can I get a, woohoo? Can I, you know? How many of you are sitting with your wives? Just maybe you could take their hand and let them know too, I'm sitting with you, right? This morning, I want to speak on the topic Stronger Together. Stronger Together. And this is going to grow from a couple to a family and then to generation. I want to grow from from it being about a couple's family, and then generations. So let's get into it stronger together. Now, the basic unit of a family is, first of all, the couple. It starts with you two, right, your husband and your wife. If you can't, if you can't find the hand of your husband or your wife, you can just look at them. The two have become one flesh. This was ordained. And this was created by God. This was instituted by God that you should be married. That you should have one wife and you should have one husband. But many a times when we walk into marriage, how do we walk into marriage? We usually say, I'm looking for the right one. Right? I'm looking for the right one. And you spend years and years because you think that you need to find the right one. You go to all the different kinds of people. Some people you met, is crazy. Some people you met, they're awesome, they're wonderful. And some people you wish you never may have met them. I don't know. I hope not. But that's the wrong way of looking at marriage. Or that's the wrong way of looking how to get married. The question is not whether there is a right person out there for me and for me to go and find that person. The question is, have you become the right person? Have you matured? Have you grown to become the right person? Look at your husband, look at your wife. How many times do you spend blaming each other? Acha? Right? I don't know what you say to your wife. I say Lois. Right? Oh, why you did like this? Why you did like that? I told you. Thank you. I was looking for that. Why you did that? Right? We're always blaming the other person. But the truth is, that's not the biblical pattern. Because you know why? You started looking for the right person. And you never became the right person yourself, maybe. And you're saying, my wife needs to be perfect. Why you didn't do it like that? Or my husband needs to be perfect. Why you didn't do it like this? What are you doing like this? Blaming the other person. Marriage does not work like that. If we can look to ourselves and say, am I the right person? You wouldn't blame your wife. You wouldn't blame your husband. You will take the responsibility upon yourself. Right? We all quote the scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verses 4 to 8. Anybody want to read it? Any courageous Husband or wife? I'll read it for you so that um, it it goes into the video feed as well. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always persevere. Love never fails. It says a whole lot of love, right? Love this, love that, love patient, love merciful, love perseveres, love is kind, love keeps no record of wrong. Now I want you to read that again. But this time, instead of saying love, Put your name there. I'm just going to pick Denny because I can see you very clearly from here. It says, Denny is not proud. Denny does not keep a record of wrong. Denny is long-suffering. Denny is patient. Denny is persevering. This is the way that a husband and wife should be living together. It should not be, why are you not right and why are you not correct? It should be, why, what, where have I failed? It should be, where am I in this love? My name should replace it. Amen. Amen. How many people are getting married soon? I know, secret marriage, right? No one can raise it up. But understand how the marriage works. It should be like this where one is taking the responsibility, not placing on others. Where the expectation is not placed on the other, expectation is put upon self. Now, the next thing that I want to go into is from parents to, I mean, sorry, partners to parents. In the Bible, there's a few types of parents. How many of you guys are young couples or you have a child? Just recently had a child, under 15, under 18. I I just recently had a child. Right? Your life has now changed from it just being just you two. Now there's a child in the picture. In the Bible, there's a few characters and few stories of parents. And they have been typified. I would like to put them in three categories. The first category is present but permissive. See, it's not good enough if you, as parents, are just home. It's not good enough if you are just there. The reason why you are there is so that you can guide, so you can lead, so you can build up, so you can teach. There are so many examples in the Bible of how they lived their life. We can see Eli. Who is Eli? Eli is a priest. Eli is a man who knows the word of God. Eli is a man who served God. He was home with his sons, and his sons were home with him too. But what was wrong with his family life? God even cursed him in 1 Samuel 2 2 verse 29. God asked, why do you scorn my sacrifices? Why is it that your sons accept bribes and take the fat from the sacrifices? It's not good enough that the fact that you are just home with your kids. It's not good enough that you are there together. Many of us, including my own family, we grew up, what do we do? We read a psalm, we sing a song, we pray, and we go to sleep. That's not going to cut it. I'll tell you the truth. Every day you read one psalm with your kids, that's not going to help them. David went into the cave, David came out of the cave. David went into the cave, David came out of the cave. It's psalms. This is not going to be enough for your kids. If you're young couples or your parents or you're going to be parents soon, you need to understand. You need to sit down with your kids, not read a psalm, not simply read the Bible. You have to teach them from the word of God. You have to give them guidance. You have to give them something practical, not simply say, oh, let's just pray and read the Bible. It's not going to work out. We can look at Eli and we can see this. But the next person is surprising is Samuel. Samuel was a prophet from Beersheba to Dan. That's like from north to south, east to west. This guy was known as a powerful prophet. But the people of God came to Samuel and they told Samuel, your sons now do not walk in your ways. Instead, now they take bribes. We want a king. This is what the people came and said to Samuel. We want our own king because your sons don't walk in your ways. You know, one is the fear for me, or one of my greatest desire. It's not I don't want anything else. I want my son to walk in the ways of God. That's all I want. You don't have to become rich. You don't have to take care of me. You don't have to do anything. He's only four months old, but it's my desire. Right? How is he going to be like that? How, where will he get this idea? Right? How is he going to do this? I don't know what you think school is like. 400 kids, 500 kids, 800 kids, all coming together, learning how to fight, learning how to talk, learning how to steal. This is what they do in school. I mean, they may teach them social studies, science, math, but they also teach them this. You know? You need to teach your kids because before the world teaches your kids. You might be sending them to best school. It doesn't matter. Before the school teaches them, you have the obligation and responsibility not only to be present, but to be teaching them. It's not good enough that you became a father in your home or you became a mother in your home. You need to sit and you need to teach them and you need to pray with them. Amen. Amen. The next is absent, but not permissive. How many of you guys have jobs? Nobody has a job. I know, no one's going to raise their hand. We all have jobs. Some of us, very taxing jobs. Some of us have jobs that take long hours. Maybe you're a doctor, 36 hours, 48 hours, 24 hours, working, working, working. You can be a doctor and be a good parent. Not being permissive, not allowing everything, but that won't cut it. They need to spend time with you. You know, I was really surprised. I think Stephen, I'm sorry, just calling out, Stephen. One time, I was on Facebook and I just saw like it was Daddy and daughter date time. It's 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 appreciable. He takes a day out to spend just with his daughter, just them two. Not not doing anything, but just spending time together. You know, don't wait until your life is over. Don't wait for retirement. I have 65 years old, I'll spend more time with my family. What a sad life. You think God made life to be like that? You work, no time with your family, no time with your wife, no time with your children. I know some families here. The wife is yearning. My husband should spend more time with me and my son, or my daughter, or maybe vice versa. Life is not meant, or Christian family, this is not the way it is. That you go to work, come back, go to work, come back, never take a single day to go and just have fun. Go on a vacation, right? You need to learn to spend time together. This classic example is David. David was known as a man of God, a man after God's own heart, a man who would dance and worship and praise God with all of his heart, who wrote so many Psalms and so many songs for God. But yet he failed in the life of Anam, Absalom, Solomon. Why? He was not permissive, he was a good, godly father, but he was absent, he was not there. His son turned into a rapist. His other son turned into a murderer. Yeah, you may not be permissive. Yeah, you may, have, you may be very uh, um, controlling. Maybe you're very strict parents. But if you don't spend time with your kids, your kids do not know an example of what a godly life is. It's not good enough that you say, live like this, be like this, don't do this, do that. They need something more. They need to see you acting and living out a Christian life. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. You know, there's a Chinese proverb that says like this. Tell me I will forget. Do, let me do it with you. Maybe I will remember. Show me and I will remember forever. If you tell your kids something, they will forget it. But if you show your kids how to do it and live it out in front of them, they will never forget it. It's not good enough that you read the Bible to them and tell them stories. It's only good enough when you exemplify it in your own life. They have to say, my father was an honorable man. They have to say, my mother was a prayerful Woman, I saw her crying in the night. I can hear her. She woke me up with her prayers. It's not good enough that you tell your children you have to pray. You have to show them how to pray. You have to live it out. You have to be that example that they see and cannot forget. It has to be etched in their memory. It doesn't happen by saying. It happens by doing and living. Amen. The next thing that I want to get into is the type of parents, the only type of parents we have here in IPA. Favored and anointed. Mary, in her life, when the angel of the Lord came to her, angel of the Lord came and said, but the angel of the Lord came to her and said, blessed are you. Who was favored by the Lord. For you will be with child. What do you see when you see your son or your daughter? There was a blessing that was given to the woman. I want you to listen if you're a wife here. Or if you're a mother. Or if you're a woman. Just pay attention. The Bible says, you will bear a child, and that child will bruise the head of the serpent. This promise is not only meant for Mary. This word, favored, is not only meant for Mary. It's written, you are favored, you will bear a child. Before Mary came, there was also another promise that said, your son will bruise the head of the serpent. There is something great meant to be done through your children. Don't think, oh, I had a child. It's not automatic. It's not accidental. It's purposed by God. You are selected and favored by God. For what reason? That your children should rise up and bruise the head of the serpent. That's what it says in the Psalms. You will have many arrows in your quiver that in the day of trouble, when you need to contend at the gates, your sons and your daughters will contend for you. How many hours you spend in labor, nine months carrying your children? Simply so they can live their life, go to school. Being a doctor is not a big thing. I'm sorry if anybody's a doctor. None of these things are great. Even being a preacher, that's not great. What is great is if you can surrender and submit and give your life fully to God. When you submit and surrender your life to God, and you are a doctor, and you are a physician, and you are a lawyer, and you are an engineer, the glory of God will be revealed in that time. First, there needs to be a foundation that you are chosen, that you are born to bruise the head of the serpent. You must teach your children. My son, it is not by accident. It is not by natural cause. Actually, God had a plan about you. He promised me that I will bear a child and he will bruise the head of my enemies. Your children are meant to do something your sons and your daughters. But we as young couples, as older couples, as husbands and wives need to understand it is not by accident. It is not simply that I, got, I had a child. I was favored by God. I was favored. In Malayalam the word is He had favor upon me. To have a son or a daughter. The next person is Abraham. All of you are called by God. Abraham. What was it written about Abraham? What was the calling of Abraham? We think that he was called so he can walk around the land and claim all the land. But actually the Bible says, have I not chosen him? Have I not called him? So that he will raise up his children and lead his children to walk in the ways of God. To walk in righteousness. To walk in my ways. This is what the Bible says about Abraham. The calling of Abraham. The first person maybe even that is called by God is called that he may lead his sons in the ways of God. Don't think you are a father simply to be a father. Don't think that you are simply a father. You were called, anointed to be a father. Anointed, separated, given power of the Holy Spirit. But Parenting is not simply that you pray and you have this anointing and favor. If we look in the life of Jacob in Genesis chapter 44 verses 30, it says, my life is closely bound up with my son, Benjamin. You can give birth to children and be completely separated. But you are meant to be bound up, united. Jacob said, if you take my son away from me, I will go to the grave in sorrow. I will go as a man who has nothing. That's what his children meant to him. His children, or Benjamin, he's saying, don't take him from me. He belongs at my side. The next person I want to talk about is Job. I have only five more minutes, so I'm going to wrap up really fast. It's Job. In Job chapter 1, verses 4 to 5, it says Job and his children would feast together. Each and every one of their sons would have a feast at their house. And guess who was probably there? Job. It's very good. We always look at Job as a prayerful person. But he was a person who understood his kids. Job took time to be connected to his sons and daughters. He took time to sit down with them, to eat, to relax, and to enjoy. It is not that you only pray for your children and tell them to pray and tell them to read the Bible. You need to learn to spend time with them and enjoy with them. Now, the last thing that I want to get into is inherited perspective. We all know from the life of Joseph what are the places that he's been? What are the places that he's been? We all went to sight and sound a long time ago, we saw Pitt. Prison, palace. But there's one more place. What was the last place that Joseph went to? The promised land. Joseph's destination or destiny was not found in himself. Joseph, as he was going to die, he said, Brothers and sisters, come around me. You are going to be enslaved. For 400 years. But there will be a time when God comes. And he comes to deliver you. Take up my bones. And take me to the promised land. This is a son. How did he know this? 400 years. They're going to be slaved. And then God is going to come and deliver them. Right now they have a good life. This guy is the second in command. Joseph is second in command. How did Joseph know? A man who is in second in command, how did he know that there's going to be a time that all this goodness is going to go away and we're going to be enslaved? And that God is going to come and deliver us. How did he know this? Who told him? When did he find out about it? In, the, in Genesis, I believe in the chapter 15, I believe somewhere in that area, it says God came to Abraham and told Abraham, your children will be enslaved for 400 years in the land of Egypt. Abraham was told about this. Abraham told his son Isaac. Isaac told Jacob. Jacob told Joseph. You as parents and we as children... Have an obligation. One, the obligation as parents is for you to realize the potential and the promise and the, and the vision God has about your children. Because before you have a child, sometimes God will come and speak to you. Just like with Samson's parents. The angel of the Lord came down to Samson's parents and told them. Your son, he's going to be a mighty warrior. He's going to be a judge. Before Jesus was born, an angel came to Mary and told her, you are going to have a son and he is going to be a savior for your people. There is something that you have to pass down to your children. There is something that you have to give to them and it is vital. It is crucial. And we as children need to be there to hear it and to know it. Because you know what? Before you were born, certain things were said about you. Before you had understanding, certain things were said about you. God has a plan for each and every one of us. This is a great church. But this flows from generation to generation. We, as parents, we, as children, need to stand together. Otherwise, everything is utter failure. I want to close my message here with a small analogy, it's two analogies. There is a country or a continent in this world that is very, very, very rich. I believe it was my cousin, Joju, once he came and told me, Do you know there's a country continent in this world that's so rich? It's one of the richest in the world. But same time, it's the poorest. It's Africa, full of gold, full of oil, full of diamonds, full of wealth, but utterly devastated by poverty. Why? Maybe. But that continent is split up into 38 countries. You may have so many blessings as a family. You may have so many blessings as a person. But if there is no unity, all of these blessings utterly waste. Africa has gold, oil, everything, but they're fighting all the time. They cannot come together and be united. We as a church need to learn to be united. We as a family need to learn to be united. I am nothing without my parents and my parents are nothing without me because my parents carry my prophecy and my promise. But I carry the victory that is there for them because I am the one to bruise the head of the serpent. We need to learn to stand together, united, together. Because we may be blessed, but if we are not together, we are cursed. Learn to stand together because each of you carries the blessing for the other. Amen. I'm going to sit down right now. I'm going to sit down with this analogy. I know you all know what this is. Look at this tree. It's so big. But look at this tree. It's the same tree. But they cut right in the middle of it. A road for a car to pass through. This tall tree has to bear the wind, has to bear all the pressure that blows against it, yet it doesn't fall, even if it has a hole right in the middle of it. Why? These are the redwood trees of California. When the scientists went to look why it doesn't fall down, they found out that as these trees stand together, they send their roots out one to another. So if you want to pull down one tree, it's like you're trying to pull down a hundred. If you want to tear down one family in this church, if the devil looks to curse one family in this church, he needs to think that there is another 115 families in this church. We need to learn to stand together united. But that starts first in the family. With you being good parents to your kids and your kids being good children to the parents. And then it will grow into this church. This is a church of churches. This is a family of families. The basic unit is the family. Let's learn to stand together so we will not lose our blessings. Let's learn to stand together so that we will be strong. title of my message this morning is Strong Together. But if we're not together, I want to take a moment to pray. If you close your eyes with me and bow your heads. Amen. Father God, we heard a message this morning of how you bring two people together and make them one. And you turn that one into a family. And from that family, you bring us together and make us a family of families. Father Lord, we know that you have blessed us with immense blessings. But give us grace to stand together. Give us grace to build each other, to protect each other. Give us grace, Lord, to be great parents for your name's sake. Give us grace to receive from the generation before us. And give grace to the generation before us to pour out the promises of God into our lives. Make us good Jacobs. Make us good Josephs. Make us good Marys, oh God. Give us grace to pour out into the next generation and give grace to the next generation to receive from the previous Lord, you have a purpose concerning this church. I pray that you will fulfill it. I pray that you will manifest it. I pray that you will take victory over any enemy that is coming against us. We proclaim a victory upon our family in the name of Jesus Christ. Father Lord, just as Joshua says, we together as a family of families say, as for me and our family, we will serve the Lord. We proclaim it over this church. We proclaim it for thy name's sake. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. May God bless you with these words.